2020 was a shitty year, but it does feel like serial killering is a little bit a harder thing to pull off. Yeah. And like carbon emissions went down. So that's good, too. <laughs> Hi, Jillian Benzavalli. Hey, Patrick Hines. Oh, my God. You guys, we had another wonderful listener do the math. You guys, I can officially say there are over 200 episodes for you to download and binge right this second on the Patreon. It's where we do the long-form series. So everything from Netflix or HBO Max or Hulu or Oxygen or whatever. You know, The Jinx and Making a Murderer, Don't F with Cats, Tiger King, The Vow, all those things, like the multi-part episodes. And also after parties and uh, AMAs and we're giving you advice and sometimes we send you stuff in the mail like all of that there's over 200 things that can be in your podcast feed right this minute it's kind of crazy one of the first things i ever uploaded to the podcast feed was um a clip of me laughing straight for like 60 seconds i don't remember what you said that set me off but i do remember falling down on the floor laughing you fell in your old like six apartments ago now (laughs) yes you fell off do you remember the time i I will always mention this where you laughed your glasses off your face and again (laughs) and i'm not saying that because i think i'm funny we say this all the time neither of us think think we are funny but there was one time where like the glasses like boom they were just gone and I was like what (laughs) happened girl oh my god I I hesitate to even ask what are we talking about today we are talking about oxygen's Kemper on Kemper inside the mind of a serial killer I did not know anything about this case I did not know this guy from Adam as they Adam and Steve as they say Adam and Steve the way it's supposed to be um so Ed Kemper is the serial killer that was interviewed by John Douglas he would this interview it's very very famous because Ed Kemper sings like a goddamn canary yeah, but this true. was like the start of criminal profiling, basically. Like the FBI came. It's like what Mindhunter is based on, basically, that Netflix show. And we know so much about Ed Kemper and his history and why he did stuff because he just loved talking about it. I just, can I c- cut you off quickly yeah, to just say, please. I fucking hate everybody in this documentary. I don't think that criminal profiling is real. I hate John Douglas. I hate everybody. Everybody hates women in this documentary. I'm really, I'm really worked up today, girl. I love it. Super here for it. <laughs> I haven't seen John Douglas around in a while. We haven't seen him in a dock in a long time. Yeah, he's been with us in other things. But John Douglas went the way of Errol Morris in A Wilderness of Error, where it's like, wow, John Douglas, you sort of started this really kind of important conversation back in the 70s. What happened, girl? You okay? What's going on here? Just a week ago today, four more bodies were discovered in a connected series of murders that now numbers at least 10. I put one girl in the trunk and one in the back seat and stabbed both of them to death. Later that night, I cut both of their heads off. He went for someone who he knew was weak and vulnerable. Co-eds, college students. He eviscerates them, decapitates them, sex with the body parts. By 10, 12 years of age, he was getting abused from his mother. You're nothing. You'll never amount to anything. We're still fighting. She's still belittling me. I'm like a puppet on a string. If mom wasn't there, he wouldn't have been a serial killer. He killed his mother. He wanted to just humiliate and defile the corpse uh, any way he could, and he did. Here's a guy killing co-eds. He's a necrophiliac, but he did it to his mother. How is he different from us? What's going through his mind? To understand the artist, you must look at the artwork. Kemper is going to be the first one to help the FBI know what makes these guys tick. There's something in the coming up on that never is repeated again. And I'm glad it's kind of like they knew in the edit. Like, we can't erase what he said, but we're never going to play it again. Because John Douglas (laughs) says something along the lines of, you know, to really value the art, you have to really understand the artist. He's talking about murder. (laughs) And Ed Kemper is the artist in this scenario. John? I know. John, girl? No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Oh, all right, you guys. It's the 1960s. We're in Santa Cruz, California, baby. It is. It's the Haps. I wrote. Did you call me baby? Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Yeah, it's it's a real counterculture location, babe. It's real perfect. It's gorge. Santa Cruz. Mm. And again, we're in California in the 60s and 70s. I'm like, well, this can't end well. I guess serial killers really like the warm weather. What is it about California, girl? They were like, it was a real party time. It was a real party time. Come to Santa Cruz and be free and easy until the bodies started washing in on the beach. Dot, 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 until the bodies started washing up on the beach. And that's not even 
Kemper. Ed Kemper did not dump bodies in the water. So what the fuck, Santa no. Cruz? I know. <laughs> Remember with the Faith Hedgepeth case where they kept calling her co-ed and I went on a rant about like, yes. we're not allowed to use co-ed. Ed Kemper is also the co-ed killer. So we hear this word a lot in this episode again. And I don't, I don't, I think it's antiquated. It's stupid. They're women. They're people. They're not co-eds. God. I mean, I made that note 40 times. What is it with that word? That word is out of like those 1980s, like Revenge of the Nerds, like boob porn movies, you know? what I mean? Uh-huh. Sure. Did you see me? I made the jugs move with my hands. Yeah. What was that? What's going on there? And I'm stuck in the pose for some reason. I don't, I can't get out of it. I'm holding gigantic boobs that I don't have. I'm just, I can't yeah, even, they're so, they're, my hands are out much farther than what I actually have to work with. Anyway. Oh my God. So, you know, they say like, right as soon as the bodies start washing up at the beach, again, not related to Ed Kemper, but whatever. Right? Because it's not, right? Like we're- It's not. Okay. No, it's like, it's totally not related to Ed Kemper. What We don't know who it's related to. Can we find that guy? The bodies washing up on the beach killer. We'll just call him that. Like California in the 70s, get your shit together. If When someone finally builds a time machine, can we go back to right before California in the 70s went to shit and just stop it? Like, can totally. we just end all of this? But so college women are being murdered. And it's insane how similar so many of these cases are where it's like, okay, people are being murdered. Let's all buy guns, even though we don't know how to work them. <laughs> and it was a really scary time. Nobody felt safe. All of these young women were being murdered and no one had any idea who, what, why, when. And the reason it all ended is because oh Ed Kepper himself called the cops and was like, hey, uh, it's me. I'm the guy. Uh, what's going on? And we hear the call. Last Saturday morning, about 5.15 a.m., I told my mother, approximately 7.55. It's unbelievable. And I gotta say, this guy, Ed Kemper, is a piece of shit. But, like, he did do the thing we're always asking the killers to do. Right. If you know you don't want to kill anymore, can you just go talk to somebody about it? He literally did that, girl. And we'll get to why that is. (laughs) But... This guy, by the way, isn't a fucking orangutan. This guy is 95 feet tall. <laughs> I'm sorry, the look on your face when I said orangutan. Leave the orangutans out of this, okay? Why do we always have to bring animals into it? They did nothing wrong. So this guy is like stuffed himself into a phone booth, right? He, and we'll learn later where he's coming from and what, and like all that happened. But like he calls the cops. We hear the call. The cops come to get him. And when the cops are describing them, like showing up on this scene, he comes out of the phone booth. He's as tall as the phone booth. He's 6'9 and 235 pounds. No, more than that, right? 6'9, 235. He's just real tall. That's a skinny guy for 6'9, 235. I don't think that's, was he a bean? No, he was gigantic. He was enormous. (laughs) Wait, are you sure that's right? Hang on, let me look it up. Yeah, like around 300. 6'9", around 300. But you said 235. That's what they said, but now it's around 300. No one, I guess no one weighed the guy. Oh, so and then then on SerialKillerShop.com, barf, it says that he weighed 250 pounds. So who the hell knows? Anyway, he's a murderer. I'm not the one on trial here. Wait, (laughs) By the way, you take the most excellent notes. How dare I question you? How dare I fucking question you? You know what? You have a point. When you're right, you're right. So he's so gigantic. And he like waits in the phone booth. He's like, hey, everyone, like I'm the murderer. And they're like, okay, stay where you are, I guess. And he does. And so they come to arrest him. So the officers said when they arrived, they came out of the phone booth. He literally put his hands on top of the phone booth to say, I give up. He's, he's that big. Hey, you know, it's me. Like, you know, hands up or whatever. He's so tall that he can put his hands on top of the phone booth. You guys, think about how tall that is. That's why I said orangutan. Seriously, really think about it. Like, it's a, yeah. it's a great visual for how tall this person is that he's, like, resting. He's like, oh, hey, little one. Like, hey, hey little buddy to the cops. <laughs> like, that's how tall he is. But, you know, the thing I was thinking about, like, not to bring this down real quick, but I'm about to. Oh, Imagine, like, you're a young, like, woman in a car with him and you realize it's all about to go bad and you're like, this guy is a, like, he's literally, yeah. he's an oaf. Yeah, you can, you can bring the oafs in. I won't defend them like I did the orangutans. <laughs> Wait, is an oaf an actual thing? They're like an oafy guy. I think it's like there's an idea of an oaf. Okay. I don't know if it's like... It's not like a real animal. You can't see one at a zoo. No, and you shouldn't be going to zoos anyway. You should be going to sanctuaries. <laughs> but not to what's her, not to what's her name. Carol Baskin, stay away from that one. No, like re- do your research before you want to have yeah. some fun and learn. Anyway, off my soapbox. Sorry, I'll put my soapbox away. <laughs> 
Um, I, yeah, and you know, like six nine. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's terrifying. But I've also been like terrified by guys who are not six nine. So to your point, absolutely. Oh yeah, you don't have to be big to be a scary guy. But like being big helps. No, that's what I'm saying. Like if I've been terrified and cornered by someone not six nine, I cannot yeah. imagine being in Ed Kemper's uh, presence. I, I just can't. So the minute he's arrested. I don't know how they just like, or they just start recording him. There's like a tape recorder. (laughs) The minute he's arrested, they are just instantly recording him. I guess because they're like, wow, this is interesting. He called and like turned himself in. Maybe this guy has more to say, clearly. And he said that he turned himself in because he wanted to stop. Why did you wind up giving yourself up? It had to stop. Honestly, he he was not, like, about to be caught or anything. So, no. like, he could have kept on going. I mean, the one thing this guy says that I believe is that he, he gave himself up because he wanted to stop. I do believe that. I do believe that, too, to a degree. So John Douglas is here, and he's saying... In those days, all of the research that has been conducted on criminal psychology has been from a rehabilitation perspective. We've had to develop more of a proactive technique to try to catch these guys. Look, we have this really, like, unique opportunity to interview this guy. He's a serial killer who can teach us about the ways of serial killing. And maybe we can, like, actually find serial killers and stop them based on what we learn from him. So this is not about rehabilitating or, like, dealing with people on the inside. This is about actively being able to stop serial killers in their tracks. Right. Or at least trying to say, okay, who are we looking for here? Here's what we know from these cases in murders. Okay, here's the kind of person who would do a thing like that. I'm a big believer that we should get all criminals to tell their stories. Like, I've said it before, there's a line in the Laramie Project about, like, the guys who killed Matthew Shepard. Like, part of their sentence should be that they have to tell their story. Mm-hmm. We should learn from these people and learn why they became the way that they became. But then, I'm gonna go on a r- tangent in five minutes about how, like, why are we listening to this guy? Why are we believing anything he's saying? So what the hell do I know, girl? Well, I was just gonna say, well, you're gonna love the next 20 minutes of this thing, because it's all about his childhood. So buckle up up girl this one's for you so everything that we learn about him in this documentary we only know from him there's no corroboration so take it all with a grain of salt everybody yeah this guy who who we'll learn is like a master manipulator is is our narrator here and you know yeah unreliable narrator i did goog some stuff to try to get some clarity here we'll get to that later on so you know let's let's dive into the childhood of ed kemper and you know he was born in california he's a sagittarius don't appreciate that one bit <laughs> Ed Kemper never had a normal childhood. It was a chaotic relationship between his mother and his father. This went on for a period of time, this bickering, yelling, demeaning his father. The father couldn't take it any longer, so he took off. And so I just wrote, like, that means the dad's a fucking dirtbag. Like, they talk about the dad being browbeaten by the mom and how the dad just had to get out of there. Yeah. And I'm like, if this woman was so bad, save your fucking children. Yeah, the dad bailed. That fucking sucks. And yeah. the mom, according to Ed Kemper, the mom was really uh, verbally abusive and she hated men and her son and her ex-husband and he she demeaned and humiliated him. And then, it, like, we just take a hard left right off a fucking cliff because <laughs> then it's like, oh, well, Ed Kemper, like little Eddie Kemper used to play games like, you know, electric chair and gas chamber. And they say these terms like these are games kids play. No, I, I played like Ghostbusters and yes. whatever. No, no, no. He had an older sister and he had a younger sister and he played games called gas chamber, electric chair. And what that was was just like reenactment of death. They would strap him to a chair and then a sister would make believe she's pushing on a button to execute him. And he'd writhe in the chair like he's being executed. This is where I was like, this documentary feels like it it hates women to me because it's like, oh, the reason that he became a serial killer is because his mom was really mean to him and his sisters made him play games like electric chair and gas chamber. You know what I mean? Like, like it's all blamed on the women in his life. Oh, yeah. Well, he hated women. No. So that 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 will come through throughout. Yeah. I, I thought he was making his sister. I didn't I didn't get that they were trying to say that his sisters were forcing him to play. Yeah. Like in the reenactment, which I'm sure is scientifically accurate. They they had him like strapped to the chair. Mm-hmm. I was like, this all just feels like excuses. It's like yeah. this guy was born a monster and he grew up in a bad home and he went out and became a serial killer because of it. Like, can we stop blaming the women? Can we just blame the murderer? You know? Yeah, I mean, that would be, I've been screaming about that for several years now, at least. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it would be really great. And the thing is, we say this all the time. A lot of people had really shitty childhoods. A lot of people had 
shitty moms and parents and they're not all murderers so I don't really subscribe to like the mom you know always look at the mom for why no. they're a serial killer and, and abuse is abuse too so if he really was abused and we don't know that like I, I understand that completely but can we have Ed Kemper take a little bit of responsibility he called in himself so he knows that he did it I know that's thank you like that's what I was screaming all afternoon and like he was abused if we believe what, what he is telling us which is that like in his house when the family would go to bed like his mom and his sisters would go to the second floor of the house and they made him go to the basement. The rest of the family went upstairs to retire for the evening. I went to the basement. So we had an entire floor of the house between us. My mother wouldn't allow me any negotiated settlement of light. I couldn't have a night light. It was too expensive. And he talked about the rats running around at night and how afraid he was of the rats. He talks about, like, there was a furnace down there, and he just imagined it was, like, the gateway to hell. And, yes, that is child abuse, and that sounds awful, right. you know? But there are kids who, like, experienced worse who didn't grow up to become serial killers. Like, most of them. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? The numbers are that most of them don't end up serial killers. And then it's just, you know, of course we learn it didn't take long for the animal cruelty to come along. And that, like, yeah. his mom didn't make him torture the cat. Ed Kemper did that. Right, because right. I was like, okay, if we're blaming the fact that he became a serial killer of human beings on the fact that his mother was mean to him, when he started killing animals, are we going to find instances of animals abusing him that made him do that? Right, like, fuck off. Not you. I'm just the general, right. you know. You know how I get. You know how I am. <laughs> I just want to say this here, and then I won't say it again. This is what bothers me about John Douglas and the whole, like, criminal profiling thing, is that it feels to me like he has to use Ed Kemper and, like, this case to prove his significance in the sure. industry. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. everything he decided has to be true in order to, like, legitimize his importance as, like, the leader in this field. And so it just, to me, it feels like there's just no wiggle room in, in what he learned. You know what I mean? There's just, like, everything, in his opinion, is the mother was rude to him— rude the mother like horribly abused him and so he went out to kill women because he wanted to kill his mother so it's just it feels like a little bit too straight of a line like i think there's a lot of other factors you know yeah i i yeah i agree and we'll we'll hit that point home much later but also like again the errol morris connection to me is remember we were screaming in a wilderness of error and that's on lady pates everyone if you if you haven't heard it but we were saying like could you just learn and grow like when you're presented with information that doesn't match your narrative you know what would be great errol morris if you were just like, huh, okay, all yeah. right. So that kind of, and I don't get any of that from John Douglas either, so. No. So, you know, his childhood was so bad. Mm -hmm. The relationship with his mom wasn't going great. So in 1964, at 15 years old, Kemper is sent to live with his grandparents in North Fork, California. And now they're his dad's parents. They're his paternal grandparents. And it's like the beautiful California woodsy country or whatever. He loved his grandfather. Everyone's saying like the grandfather was the only person he ever said that he loves. His grandfather got him a rifle and taught him to shoot. He was shooting birds. And Grandma, her name was Maud, didn't like that. She took the gun. We begin now to see the dynamics of when he gets upset, her telling him to do something triggered a lot of rage. So, you know, the grandmother, Maud. I love it. Right? And you know, she's like, she doesn't even own pants. She's just house dressed all day, every day, girl. All day. And the <laughs> slippers that make noise, like the mom in Bye Bye Birdie, where you can hear her coming down the hall. So the grandfather gets him the rifle to shoot birds. The grandmother, Maud, is like, not a fan. So she takes the gun away. This did not go well. And remember, Ed Kemper's 15, right? So according to Ed Kemper, Maud, his dad's mother, had the same personality as Ed Kemper's mom, this like torturous, horrible woman, right? They use the word nagging. They like that's yeah. the thing that John Douglas says that makes me fucking crazy. It's the trope of the the nagging, overbearing mom, wife, grandmother. Right. That's how they are describing these women. Ed Kemper's mother and his grandmother. So, you know, they get in a fight because Maud's like, like, no, bitch, stop. Yeah. You're 15 yeah. with the rifle and the shooting. Like, no. And so Ed Kemper takes the very gun they're fighting about, this rifle yeah. that they're fighting about, and shoots his grandmother several times in the back of the head and her actual back. And now what Ed Kemper, his emotional journey in this is. So then he became horrified. He was so concerned about how this was going to affect his grandfather. So he decided the only reasonable thing to do was to kill his grandfather to keep him from suffering. 
Oh my God, my grandfather, the only person I love is going to be so upset about this. I don't have the heart to tell my grandfather that I killed the love of his life and I don't have the heart for him to see this. So what should, oh, I'll just kill him so that he doesn't have to have the experience of knowing that I killed the love of his life. And all of our experts here, John Douglas included, buy this hook, line, and sinker. This guy is a fucking murderer. This guy had murderous rage in his heart from the minute he was born and yes. he has to kill. And the uh, the thing about the John Douglas thing, you will hear him describe these women as nagging, overbearing. You almost feel him empathizing with Ed Kemper and these like horrible women that like, and how dare she take away this gun from him? Like, of course it's going to make him run. And I thought to myself, he ends up shooting her with it. Right. Like, do you think the grandmother had that like intuition of like, this kid is dangerous. This kid is violent. I can see it in his soul. Let's get this gun away from it. Maybe that's not nagging John Douglas. Maybe that's just following your gut. Right, yeah. Take the gun away from this kid. And like he yeah. was sent to live with you for a reason because yeah. he was this troubled youth. How about we stop just sending kids away and give them the help they need? Oh my I God. <laughs> I mean, but also like could Ed Kemper be helped? Probably not. Like whatever. <laughs> I'm really trying to control my anger for this episode. I feel so angry. Isn't it great? Like, that's where I live. <laughs> Isn't it nice to be able to get it out with someone who looks at you and is like, yeah, give me more of that. Like, we we don't have that in our lives. Yeah, but the pro I'm not as articulate as you. Like, you're so good at getting it out, and I just stumble and yell and say, don't say nag. Don't say the word nag. Let me tell you, I think you're killing it, and I feel the words tripping in my mouth. Like, I can feel that this is going to be a very ADHD heavy, fucked up, very hard recording for me. So girl, loving you, loving what you got going over there. All right. We're here for each other. We're here. For, we're going to get through this. A hundred, like a one zillion percent. Oh my God. Always. <laughs> so now 15 year old Ed Kemper is arrested. Obviously he killed both of his grandparents, right? This is my other question. How was he ever let back out in the world to commit these eight other murders? Well, thankfully, Oxygen spent 45 minutes on exactly why. <laughs> the judge had appointed a psychiatrist. His report was that I was mentally ill, that I was what he called, um, how did he put that? I was salvageable, that I should be treated and not punished. So they sent him to Atascadero State Mental Hospital, which, do you know what my first question is? What? I wonder if he met the Zodiac Killer. No. <laughs> The answer is no. Everybody says that whoever the Zodiac Killer was was at a Tascadero at some point. Like, it's in all of the... It, this guy's probably not the Zodiac Killer lore, you know? Yeah, but the, the doctors say that Ed Kemper, 15-year-old Ed Kemper, who murdered both of his grandparents in cold blood, was mentally ill but salvageable. Their words. And that he should yeah. be treated and not punished. Again, their words. And I'm like, which is weird because Atascadero is for, quote, the criminally insane. So which is it? And it's like, the Atascadero is notoriously bad. Like, Horrible. the shock therapy treatment. The, yeah. I mean, just as bad as you can possibly imagine, that's what that place was. They did everything wrong every step of the way. Like, they all of it was wrong. Yeah, and they tossed this 15-year-old kid who, again, is like six foot nine and like, you know, he looks like a full-grown man. But the thing that they say about him is that like they immediately find out that he's like a genius. He like yeah. blows it off the charts on the IQ scale. And you know, you hear him talking like in an interview about how like he had no idea he was smart. I wasn't aware of any intelligence. I was being called stupid pretty frequently and unfortunately it was sinking in. So I was very positively impressed and surprised to find out I wasn't mentally defective, literally. I thought I was a slow person. And so all of the experts are saying to us, he just learned how to say what they wanted to hear, how to play like the rehabilitated, you know, 15-year-old kid. And he gets on everybody's good side. Everybody loves him. If one more person in this thing calls this fucking guy charming, I know. why? Why do they do that? But here's what I don't get about this. Because they, they say, you know, no one had ever seen anything like this. You know, he doesn't hear voices. Again, all their words. You know, he's not a paranoid schizophrenic. He doesn't fit in with everyone here. So what do they do? They throw him in a cage from the age of 15 to 21. So if he's not like anyone there and he's right. so brilliant and he's so charming but he's also a cold-blooded killer and we don't really know what to do with him so they put him in a cage for six years. That never works. No. The 70s were the dark ages, girl. Whatever Ugh. decade this is, dark ages. Dark ages. 1964, I think. Jesus Christ. Ugh. So, you know, he eventually is like released from a Tascadero. He's deemed sane. The doctors like really thought he wouldn't be a threat to himself or anyone else but the whole thing that happens here 
here is that they're like, okay, kid, we know that you just spent the last six years like talking about how you hate your mother and uh-huh. hating your mother is why you had to kill your grandmother. We're going to let you go. The only catch is you got to go live with your mom. Right. Because the thing, it's like, <laughs> wait a second. Wait, everything they say, they contradict it in the same breath. Because it's like, oh, he would masturbate 15 times a day thinking about what he would do to not just his mother, but other women. And they're like, you know what? Send him out. You know who he should live with? His I mother. Know. Like, what is happening what over there? You? I want Warden Jillian running a Tascadero. That would have been a time, girl. Girl, I'm already running the place with, what What was it? The woman with the- Denimora Prison. Denimora, yes. I got too many jobs here. I'm running too much shit. I don't want to be a warden. Don't make me. You would have been good. You would have, you would have led with compassion, I feel like. You know, I'll talk to the wardens and tell them what to do, but I don't want to do it. Totally. Again, it's the same three words. Don't be garbage. It's very simple. Don't be a dick. Yeah. And that kid who masturbates about killing his mother, don't send him to live with his mother. Just don't do that. How about that? Or put him in a cage to get pent up for six years. Like, how is that rehabilitating him? I don't understand I what they were doing. They just put I him know. away so he can fester and fester and these ideas can grow and these feelings can grow. And then they sent him to live with his mother. My note at the end of the section, this seems a little ill-advised, everybody. I mean, <laughs> agreed. Hard same. So, you know, John Douglas is telling us now Kemper's back with his mom, back with the screaming and the nagging. John Douglas literally says, Now he's with mom. He's back in this environment. The nagging, yelling. She broke him. His mother broke him. And John Douglas believes this. I know. He believed that if he hadn't had a nagging, screaming mother, he wouldn't have been a serial killer. And also, I'm not a mother, but I'm not nagging. Just put the fucking dish in the sink. You know what I mean? (laughs) That's not nagging. Just do it. No. Take the clothes up off the floor. What's the problem? You know what? And also, like, please don't at me. Maybe his mother was garbage, and maybe we know that for sure. But I'm just saying, like, lots of people have garbage parents and don't end up serial killers, John Douglas. That's all. Abuse is abuse. We weren't there. We don't know. Like, if that happened... And I I hear that. However, I know many people in my life who are not murderers who also had shitty childhoods. So stop. Yeah. My big red note. Also, can we let the murderers be responsible for the murdering? You know what I mean? How about the guy who picked up the phone and said, hi, come get me. He's putting more more responsibility on himself than John Douglas is. And that's weird. So we learn that like nine months after he's home living with his mother, this is when he, quote, kills his first hitchhiker. And it's also when we learn that Kemper... I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you. We also got to talk about the hitchhiking. We got to talk about the hitchhiking, girl. Hitchhiking culture in Santa Cruz was very active. People hitchhiked all over town, but especially they hitchhiked at the university. Hitchhiking. I, I never, it's never going to be something that I'm going to agree with or understand or like subscribe to. I think it's so dangerous. No, the only vehicle you ever get into if you're hitchhiking is if an indigo girl opens the door for you. They're not going to hurt you. Right. They're going to, they're going to treat you great. They're going to stop at a Waffle House. And the thing is, I would say like, oh, if it was like a woman who picked you up, but it's also like, yeah. hey, women, don't pick up strangers on the street because everyone wants right. to kill us. Everyone totally. hates us. Because I would say like, like I would get you where you need to go girl I'd call I'd help you out but also like I am putting myself at risk I would be murdered yes I also don't drive so I'm never picking up hitchhikers for that (laughs) this is where I need to ask you a question please bring it girl are you as like angered by and obsessed with the on-screen text in this as I am. Who wrote this shit? Oh, my God. The the on-screen text in this episode is unforgivable. It is really, really salacious and horrible. Thank you. It's also so... It's like a high school kid wrote it. I'm sorry. And look, I love things that are just told. I love when stories are told in a very conversational, casual way. I think I love that, like accessible language and tone. I'm super, super into that. Welcome to True Crime Obsessed. However, (laughs) there's something too casual about these horrible things that are happening. Yes. And I love an ellipsis. Look, I love an ellipsis. (laughs) Too much of that or like, so, comma, here's what happened. And I'm like, wait, wait. And why isn't there a narrator telling us this? If you're going to do the casual thing, Have like a cool person telling us the story so that have Maggie tell us. So it's like, all right, so so here's what happened. You know what I mean? Instead of having us read it and it just look, it's unbelievable. So I'm going to dive into the on-screen text momentarily because it's insane. And thank you for agreeing with me. I can't handle it. I cannot handle it. I cannot. 
But like, yeah, this is when we are learning that like his belief about himself, and this is like, this to me is a much more of an indicator of maybe why he's a murderer, much more so than his like nagging, quote, overbearing mother. Right. It's like that whole incel thing, that involuntary celibate thing where they hate women because they just assume that women hate them, right? And so he thinks he'll never have a girlfriend. He says the only way he could ever have a woman was like to possess her, basically to like entrap her and kill her. My frustration, my inability to communicate socially, sexually. I wasn't impotent, but emotionally I was impotent. I was scared to death of failing in male-female relationships. Ed Kemper knows, shit, I'm a murderer. And like, what's that conversation with yourself like, where you're like, oh my yeah. God, I want to do this. So he starts testing himself. He starts oh picking up hitchhikers because there are so many hitchhikers to pick up, which is so crazy to me. You guys, stop doing it. Stop hitchhiking. Oh my God. I doubt, I mean, we don't do that anymore. There's Uber. I mean, there's no way. I guess. Right? I hope, girl. I or hope. even if you can't afford an Uber, please don't hitchhike. Like, you've seen enough no. documentaries in your life, right? And if not, you've listened to enough of our episodes. I'll put my phone number in the Facebook group. Just call me. I don't, if you're in Oklahoma, I'll come get you. I don't care. Don't hitchhike. Don't hitchhike. Don't hitchhike. Oh my God. And while we're at it, can we close truck stops? I understand that they need to exist, but also they're just murder dumping grounds. They do need to exist, right? I think they probably do. <laughs> we're the wrong people to ask. <laughs> Or like, can we just get floodlights there 24-7? You should need sunglasses when you go to a truck stop 24 hours a day. <laughs> oh, God. I'd go to that truck stop, but my eye, it's just so bright. Oh, my God. Deal with it, girl. Deal with it. Deal with it. <laughs> We're saving lives. We're saving lives. <laughs> I want that sound everywhere I go. How about this? I'll do you one better. I don't want to hear the floodlight sound because I want them on 24 hours a day. That's what I want. I don't want to hear that sound ever again because I just want the known dumping grounds. Light them up. The truck stops. Light that shit up. So Ed Kemper starts picking up these hitchhikers to test himself. And he says, he was like, look. I'm picking up young women and I'm going a little bit farther each time. It's a daring kind of a thing. I'm driving along. We go to a vulnerable place where there aren't people watching where I could act out and I say, no, I can't. My hope, my goal was that I would pick up a woman and then drop her off safely. But fingers crossed, you know, your guess is as good as mine if I could do it. Somebody says he could have gone to prostitutes, but prostitutes are street people. They're strong. They're tough. They take care of themselves. Kemper was too smart for that. So we went for someone who he knew was weak and vulnerable. These fucking talking heads in this documentary say he had to go for the weak and vulnerable. They're talking about your average women. The people who are the talking heads in this documentary think of women as weak and vulnerable. Right, and they're thinking of, you know, 19, 20-year-old, 18, 19, 20-year-old college women. That's, that's yeah. who they're talking about here. Yeah. So, you know, as he's continuing to test himself, he's picking up more and more women. He's driving them farther and farther out. And he says, like, he knew that he had this, like, need to kill within him. He says, And this craving, this awful, raging, eating feeling inside. I could feel it consuming my insides. This fantastic passion. It was like drugs. It was like alcohol. And then he says, and then the question became, do I bring my gun out? And he's saying, like, as soon as I bring my gun on a ride, like, that's the next, like, he's been picking up the hitchhikers and taking them farther and then farther and then farther. And the next thing he needs to add to the equation is his gun. Like, can I take my gun and not kill somebody? And right. he basically says, no, I know if I bring my gun, something bad is going to happen. And it does. So it's Marianne Pache and Anita Lucchese, and they're the, the the first women murdered and they're hitchhiking together so they think I'm assigning them this and I'm sorry to do it I hate when people do it yeah. but I think they thought if we're together we'll be okay but they didn't think a 6'9 300 pound guy was gonna pick him up and also he's a murderer I don't care how big he is he's a murderer yeah and that's what happens like you know one of them gets in the front seat one of them gets in the back seat he handcuffs one of them to the steering wheel and then takes the other one and puts her in the trunk and then brutally brutally murders the one that he had in the car and like she's dead now and you guys I'm sparing you all of the graphic fucking details that we get in this documentary unnecessarily and then he goes around to the trunk where he put the other one he opens the trunk and he's like I've got to kill her I just know I have to kill her she's gonna tell on me she's gonna turn me in but then get this you guys this bitch pulls away with two bodies in his trunk he gets pulled over a second later for a fucking broken tail light and he says do you want to go check in the trunk to see what's wrong maybe it's a loose wire and the officer then 
thinks that this is the most cooperative citizen and just gives him a warning. I said, Ed, I said, what would you have done if he took a look in there? He's going to find two bodies. I was prepared to kill him. Look, I am so glad these murderers are so stupid. I'm so glad. But I cannot believe that this guy is going to go out a murderin' with a broken taillight. And then offer to open the trunk. So he gets pulled over. <laughs> and he's like, hey, um, maybe there's something up with the wires in my trunk. Now, I don't know. Are there wires in the trunk of a car? I don't know. Wrong person to ask. I, but, thought, the, I thought you sat in the car and you picked it up and then you ran. That's from that TV show I used to watch. Like, Fre like Fred Flintstone. That's exactly yeah. how it works. Yeah. <laughs> that noise with the feet barefoot at exactly. all times. And so yeah. he's like, maybe there's something up with the wires. Like, should we go check? And the cops are like, um, nah, just go. You're totally fine. And, you know, he takes the bodies back to his apartment where he lives with his mother. And, like, I, we're not going to go into what he does to them. If you guys need to know that, you can give this shit a goog. It is so fucking disgusting what he does to these bodies. And if the on-screen text is a hint, it's after killing his first two co-eds, we don't use that word anymore, in 1972, <laughs> Kemper's murderous demons have been unleashed, dot, dot, dot. The horrors he will inflict have only just begun. Who wrote this? And so the next day he stays home from work and, you know, we haven't gone over this, but he works for like the state of California, like highway patrol or whatever. But he knows where like all the backwoods and shit are. And like he takes their like dismembered bodies and buries them in like various locations. It's fucking horrible. And so like we're just told that like every time he has a fight with his mother, that's when he's got to go on a murdering spree. So don't forget, you guys, this is his mother's fault. You could see the pattern. After a huge fight with his mother where they had screamed at each other for hours, he would go out and kill. And she would also come home hammered and pick a fight with him, according to Ed <laughs> Kemper. And pick a fight with him, telling him how like worthless and stupid he is. And I'm like, well, did she say the word murderer? Because she'd be right about that. And the other thing we learn about her eventually is that like she worked at the university. She was an executive assistant there. Everyone loved her. And I'm not saying that like she wasn't a monster at home and nice at the office. Like I certainly have had those days. I know you can do that. <laughs> but like maybe she wasn't a monster. You know what I mean? And she liked to go out and get her cocktail on and then come home and live with that deadbeat son that killed his grandparents. Like it wasn't sunshines and rainbows for her either. Yeah. And where are the sisters? I'd love to know where they are. They're like, you know what? One too many gains of gas chamber and electric chair. We're out of here. We're just going to say that. I mean, that that would make anyone snap, truly. <laughs> totally. So, you know, his mom comes home hammered, according to him, and they get in some fight. And he's like, oh, I'm super ready for my next murder now. And oh it's this 15-year-old girl. She's a dancer. Her name is Aiko Ko. And she is, for some reason, hitchhiking to her ballet class. Ugh. She gets into his car to get to her ballet class and he pulls a gun on her. She freaks out. He puts it away when she freaks out. And for some reason, he gets out of the car, but he ends up locking himself out of the car. He has to get out of the car for some reason, but the mistake that he made was is he locked himself out of the car with a cuckoo in the car with his gun. He was such a mastermind, a manipulator. He was able to convince her, to talk her into opening up that door. And this is why all of our talking heads use the word charming 15,000 times. Because yeah. through whatever he did, he convinced this 15-year-old girl to let him back in. This 15-year-old girl who knows she's been kidnapped. Like, mm -hmm. she had said to him, uh, this is not the way to my dance class. And before he locked her in the car with the gun, he's like, yeah, you're not going there tonight. And I'm going to do terrible things to you, but you're going to live. So she knows she's in fucking danger. And somehow this guy talks his way back into the car. I cannot believe it. And, you know, he gets back into the car and murders her. Like, right there. And with all the footage we have, I would kind of, I don't, I don't mean this to sound as dark as it might come off I would love to know what he said to her I know like what did he say to her to get her to open the door and I'm not I'm not blaming her I'm just curious like he he says everything else and it's like what horrible thing did you say to her and and the thing is we only know that quirk in the story that he got locked out with her in the car with the gun because he told somebody that right he's proud of this you know what I mean yep. he's proud of the fact that he was able to charm his way back in there Sometimes, girl, I don't know how we do it. I don't either. And get this, you guys. Now he's got her body, this 15-year-old girl's body, in the trunk of his car. The next day, he's got to go to the psychiatrist who's going to determine if he's been cured. Kemper's going to say, you guys cured me over there at a Tescadero. You, you guys are phenomenal. And so the psychiatrist did what he thought was right and basically said, he's fine. He doesn't need us anymore. 
And now he's like, doesn't have to be on probation anymore. And he goes to the psychiatrist with the body in his car. In the trunk, he parks, goes into the appointment, and they're like, you know what? You're great. All clear. All clear on my end. It's a pass for me, girl. I don't know what it is. Can't put my finger on it. I get a really good vibe from you, Ed Kemper. I like you. I like you, Eddie. Like, what? Hey, just you, you're going to want to duck on the way out, though. You're kind of a big boy. Yeah, just watch it. I know. I'm yeah, sure you hear that all the time. Sorry. Just, you know, lawsuit. We just got to cover our ass. Anyway, good luck to you, Ed. Have fun. Have fun. Tell your mom I said hi. Yeah, god damn it. <laughs> so the fights with the mom get worse and worse. And Ed Kemper tells John Douglas and us, look. Uh, for two months, I hadn't killed. And I said, it's not going to happen to any more girls. It's got to stay between me and my mother. I said, she's got to die. Or girls are going to die. And that's when I decided I'm going to murder my mother. In order to save the lives of other women, I have to kill my mother. Because this is really all about her. And I just want her dead. And I'm killing all these women to sort of like, I wish it was my mother. So why don't I just kill my mom? And then all these other women can survive. And like, John Douglas just accepts that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Wait, so now Ed Kemper, who's killed all these people, you're doing us a favor. You want us to like, thank you is that is that what you're after here ed kemper girl i don't think he wants anything on it truly okay. like i really think ed kemper is like i'm fucked up but he's not gonna say that oh but he's like i hate my mom so much and it was almost like a light bulb went off and i'm not defending him at all but it's yeah, bizarre yeah. because it was almost like wait why don't i just kill the source of all my problems instead of uh -huh. killing these teenagers and these young women like why don't i just kill oh her like the light bulb goes off and he's like i'm gonna do that yeah i'm totally doing that today like today he like wakes up and decides he's gonna do it yeah are you ready for ed kemper to cry in a second you guys are you ready for that oh boo fucking who crocodile tears <laughs> So his mom comes home hammered from another Tuesday night party. I'm assuming Fine. it was a Tuesday. Absolutely. So she comes home. She goes up to upstairs to bed. And Ed Kemper is telling us in his telling, he like goes to talk to his mother. And she went out to a party. She got soused. She came home, went to sleep. I was woken up by that. I got, came out. I walked up to her bed. She's laying there reading a paperback. She says in a real sarcastic way, oh, you're probably going to want to talk now, huh? You're going to want to talk. I looked at her. I said, no. I said, good night. Ed Kemper is fucking crying, telling this goddamn story. I was like, you're crying? You're crying? Yeah, bullshit. There's no crying and serial killering, Ed Kemper. Bullshit, Ed Kemper. Take those, t walk away. Walk away from me, Ed Kemper. And then he says that he comes back at five in the morning and kills her, like brutally kills her with a fucking hammer. Yeah, and you know, j this is very graphic, but he, you know, he rips like her larynx out because he wanted to silence her. He violates her dead body and he like really wanted to do that. He was very thrilled about that. He wants to tell people that that's like a way to get his rage out and now he's like okay now and he does this a lot he did it with the grandmother and the grandfather yeah. he did it with his first two victims like oh no I need to kill again to protect myself so he's like I need a reason for people to not ask about my mother ever again which is a stupid <laughs> like Ed and he's like well, alright so why would she be missing oh here's an idea he decided that he needed a reason that nobody would be looking for his mother so he chose her best friend and he said that if he were to dispose of her best friend then people would not be inquiring as to where they are because they have a tendency to go away for the weekend. So he had called Mrs. Hallett. He tricks the best friend into coming over. He's like, um, hi, I'm going to take you guys out for dinner. And she comes over and he brutally murders her, you guys. And then, like, I mean, it's so graphic and disgusting. He, like, lays in bed with her all night with his mother's body in the bedroom as well and tries to perform sex acts with her. It is, this guy is so beyond fucked up. It just is bananas. But like, you guys, the next day he like, he's like, uh-oh, gotta get out of Dodge. He gets in his car. He like throws all of his shit in his car, drives 1,500 miles, and everyone is saying like, he's driving for three days. He covers 1,500 miles, popping no-dos, no-dos, turning on the radio, hoping to hear there's this serial killer. But what uh, happened is nobody came after him. He's listening to the radio, hoping it's like, we're looking for Ed Kemper. He's gigantic. He looks like an orangutan. We'll leave the orangutans out of it. He's 6'9", he's 300 pounds, and he's a, he's a real son of a bitch. And, like, no one is looking for him. And so... He, he's like, well, shit. I mean, I guess I'll just turn myself in. So he gets to Colorado. He calls the cops from the, the payphone, the phone booth. This is where back to the beginning. This is like the, the opening scene. He confesses and they're like, hardy, har, har. And they hang up on him because they can't believe <laughs> that someone would confess to all of these murders. They don't believe him. And then he's like, 
oh, must, must have the wrong number. Oh, weird. This phone cut out and has to call and confess again. And then they just tell him, wait patiently in the phone booth. We'll be right there. <laughs> you guys, if you ever become a 911 dispatcher and somebody calls and confesses to the killings, could you just get a number? Could you just ask? Could you go get him and, and ask a couple questions? You hung up with the guy that was actually the killer. And the minute they get him, he will not stop talking. At oh one point, God. one of the cops is like, I spent a lot of time with him actually sat in the back seat with him for three and a half days and he never stopped talking it got to the point where i would think to myself god will you just shut up you know it's getting to be too much my god what a chatterbox that ed kemper i mean yeah non-stop oh my god you know so they get him back to santa cruz and then it's all this talk about like how he was sort of charming the pants off of everyone like one of the detectives is down as his in case of emergency person because it, he was like i killed everyone in my life like i don't really have anyone for my emergency person <laughs> ed kemper looks at the cop the arresting officer the one that had said could you shut up for five fucking seconds right. that guy he asked the could you shut up for five fucking seconds guy to be his emergency contact on his arrest warrant what world is this and his, his name is mike and so detective mike is like so that's the story of me being on ed kemper's permanent record as his in case of emergency person and then which at the time was weird but that's the story he tells at every cocktail party every cocktail party as he should as well yeah. he should <laughs> and then there's one like some public defender he's like yeah yeah he was like i gotta tell you like i thought it was kind of a bear of a case but he's a kind of a nice guy he goes actually i had a weird like crick in my neck he said i know a lot about anatomy i can make your neck feel better so i went around and he worked on my neck for maybe i don't know five minutes and uh you know it worked and I never, ever felt unsafe in his presence. And I never felt safer than when Ed Kemper was giving me a <laughs> neck massage or whatever. And I was like... But the thing that he says before that, he Ed Kemper says to the guy with the crick in his neck, oh, I know a lot about the human anatomy. Uh, Do you know why he knows that defense attorney or prosecutor or whoever you are? Do you know why he knows about the human anatomy, you fucking dipshit? You're going to tell me how safe you felt in under Ed Kemper's, like, fucking, you know... Gorilla grip? Leave the gorillas out of it. But also, Sorry. you know what? <laughs> Lawyer, you're not his demo. You're a Don't man. <laughs> of course you feel safe around him. He doesn't hate you. Oh, my God. Finally, in the end, we get some guy, one talking head who's been with us the whole time, who says, Thousands of people have horrible relationships with their mothers. Thousands and thousands of people grow up in horrific conditions but they're not going around killing people because they're symbolically killing their mother. I, I just don't believe that. Tons of people have bad mothers. Tons of people have shitty upbringings and they're not running around killing people. And I wrote, thank you. And then it cuts right to John Douglas and he's like, the reason he decided now was the time to kill him was because of, of the mother. I don't forgive Kemper, but mom is the influence. If mom wasn't there, he wouldn't have been a serial killer. He's like, it's always a mother thing with these guys. And I'm like, John. I uh-uh. Mm -mm. Not going to work with me. And then Ed Kemper is like still alive. It feels like it was so long ago, but he's just in prison. Is he still alive to this day? Yes. How old is he? He's 72. I'm on his wiki right now, his Wikipedia page. Oh my God. And then it ends with Ed Kemper being like, you know, you should really try to talk to these people who have urges to kill. Like we have a lot to say. And I'm like, Ed... I hear you, but like, how do we do that? Like, we're trying to get ahead of this thing, but I don't know how to, I don't know how to do it, but you know what? I'm not going to fall for it. I'm not going to like go visit you in prison and try to get information out of you. I don't like you, Ed. No, Ed Kemper. Oh my God. Uh... Gigantic. He's gigantic. He's a gigantic person. You guys, we did Kemper on Kemper from Oxygen. Girl, that was a real doozy. And a half. I'm going to give it a whole other half. My God. We left so much of the graphic, gory details out of it. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, and you're welcome, honestly. And, and you're welcome. I was going to say, if you need that information, I'm sure you can find it. But then you should also look inside yourself. Why do you need that information? Yeah, please don't. No. Uh, if you want more Jillian and me, you guys, find us on the Patreon. Officially over 200 full bonus ad-free episodes. Download a bitch right the second. Everything from All Be Gone in the Dark to Fear City to Lorena. We did, oh, Night Stalker. Yes, the Vow, Don't F with Cats. We're in the middle of Heaven's Gate right now from HBO Max. You guys, there's also ad-free versions of these episodes. Everything you could ever need, it's there on the Patreon. Um, what are we doing next? We are doing Catching a Serial Killer, Sam Little. 
Ugh. Girl, I started that today because that's what I thought we were recording today. We got Beth Karras, you guys. We got Beth Karras for a whole episode. She's our host. She takes us through this whole horrible, nightmare-inducing journey. It's terrible. Um, So stay tuned for the trailer for that. Uh, and our hilarious outtakes. You can also follow us on Instagram at True Crime Obsessed Podcast. Every Tuesday, we go live at noon. We call it Ladies Who Lunch. Um, sometimes Chrissy Teigen shows up, and yeah. we take your questions, and we talk about the week and the episodes, and it's a super fun hang sesh, girl. It's really, really fun. I really like doing it, so please come hang with us. Um, And we love you. We love you. Thank you so much for, for putting up with the Ed Kemper of it all. We love you. <laughs> we love you. Bye. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for choosing True Crime Obsessed. <laughs> He is the most prolific serial murderer in United States history. Her family calls her Mindy. Her name is Mary Jo Payton. Patricia Mount. We know he did three murders. We feel very confident he did more. Samuel Little murdered nearly a hundred people. I'll never in my career run across this ever again. So how does Sam Little get away with this for three and a half decades? That's the question a lot of people should be asking. By drawing and painting those victims, he's only further objectifying them. This is evil. This guy's evil. There were survivors. I remember thinking, I'm not going to make it out of this. Well, we went to trial, and things didn't go as planned. Remember Israel Keys demanding Snickers bars? Like, oh my God. And like cafe macchiatos or whatever, and like giggling. <laughs> Fuck off, Israel Keys. <laughs> Fuck off, Keys. I'm obsessed with this. I'm obsessed with this. Whatever's coming through the Zoom, I'm loving it. I'm doing a lot of yelling. I'm sorry, Chrissy Teigen. Turn it down in the bathroom, girl. It's just going to get louder. It's okay. It echoes. Chrissy, do you own pants? The answer's no, girl. <laughs> but Texas anyway. Remember how he killed his grandparents when he Remember? was... That's a thing that he did. I know. Maybe that's why he couldn't get dates, Ed. Maybe that's why. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe because there's like actual darkness in that black soul of yours. Maybe, maybe <laughs> that's why. <laughs> There's a moment in the documentary where it's like the detective who was there is telling us the story again. And he's like, yeah. And he gets out of the car and he gets out of the car and he gets out of the car. And I thought oxygen was skipping. But what he's trying to say is that he's just so big. He's his one. He's a one man clown car, girl. When we got to that, I was like, oh, no, she's she's going to be with me. on this." You didn't think that with the cat torture? I <laughs> just because I'm allergic to them doesn't mean I hate them. Yeah. You say this every time. <laughs> I really did not know if you were going to agree with me on this or not, because I know that you really like Mindhunter, so I didn't know how this was going to go. I like Jonathan Groff and the fantastic <laughs> actors in the show. Thank you so much. You know what? Of all the, I feel like in every single episode we talk, we, we make up a gay bar. This is not that. This town's got no mm -hmm. gay bars, you guys. Mm -hmm. Not at all. <laughs> they tried a musical Mondays at the jury room on Monday nights, but like it just didn't, it just didn't work. You know what I mean? Tim was the only one who showed up. And <laughs> totally. It's <laughs> kind of a bust. He just stood there with his cherry vodka sour and just watch that clip of Patty Lupone on repeat as you do. Tim, we would have come hang out with you, but we weren't. We were too busy doing this. <laughs>